I read somewhere a long time ago in my life, I guess when I was still a teenager, the decisions you make in the first 20 seconds are the same decisions you will make at the end of two hours. Because over a period of time, we develop that sixth sense of gut feeling or whatever. But it's basically accumulation of all our experiences and decision making. Welcome to the Search and Succeed podcast. I'm Rob Glass, Managing Partner of Hunston Partners. We are so fortunate to share many journeys with some exceptional people throughout their careers, people whom are thriving in their area of expertise. And on this podcast, we'll be chatting with them about how they perceive and strive for success within their industry and their life. I hope you enjoy Today, we're truly excited to have Maria Nazareth on the podcast. Maria prides herself on her career, her family, and her active social endeavors. She's focused on helping clients on their digital transformation journey by harnessing their data to make more informed decisions. For over two decades, Maria has worked at the intersection of banking and financial services and technology. The depth and breadth of her experience really helps clients decipher the signal from the noise and recognizes opportunities to implement competition-busting digital initiatives using data as an asset. As a founding member of Women Leaders in Data and AI, and also a member of Chief, which is designed for women in senior positions to strengthen their leadership, magnify their influence, and pave the way to bring others with them, Maria is a true inspiration to others. And we're really excited to talk through this with Maria and to hear her version of success. And it's Absolutely fantastic to be here with you, Maria. How are you? I am good today, Rob. How are you doing? I'm I'm very well. I hope that by the time that we put this podcast out, that it's still this time of year because we're now in the sunshine and the sun is beaming down on us here in the UK. I'm very excited to be doing this today with you. So. Oh, it's great. We've been trying to get you on the podcast, Maria, for some time. And David and I have been really, truly excited about this one because obviously we've known each other for a while. I think you're a, a, you know, a fantastic person for First and foremost, I love chatting with you at any point. So, um, you know, being able to just get to share a bit about you and the journey that you have been on and where you are today and the world that you live in is going to be brilliant. David, as always, fantastic that you're here with us. Always a pleasure to be here. Very much looking forward to this one. So, Maria, the title of the podcast, as you know, is Search and Succeed. And on our very first podcast, we talk a bit about search and succeed. We talk about everyone is looking for their own version of success. When you hear the phrase, when you hear me talking about it or just the phrase generally, what's your immediate thought? What does it mean to you? So for me, in my mind, um, succeed is almost like an endpoint, like you're there right? For me, success is not an endpoint. It's a journey. And I think at different points in your life, um, personal life, work life, success means very different things to you. Um, And as long as you realize that it's a journey and you're continuing on the journey, I think that's what makes you successful. 
the search part of it is being curious, right? Uh, trying to learn more, trying to absorb more, trying to gather. I'm a data analytics and AI person so trying to gather that data, trying to gather that information and to be able to help you make those informed decisions, right? And take those appropriate actions, whether it's in your, you know, about finding the right job or finding the right solution for your customer or even in your personal life, right? So find that innate curiosity to continue on your journey uh, is is what I think of and I think of search and succeed. Do you find it easy to organize and aim for your own version of success? Like when you talk about being curious and having the ability to go and search for something, and then, and then look to find it and make it happen. How do you do that in your life? So I believe that one needs to be, especially in today's day and age, right? But I think the, the, we need to develop certain skills if we, we don't have them innately. But one of those is to be a lifelong learner, right? Be curious about new topics, new, new uh, advances, new technologies. And it doesn't have to be only work-related, right? I'm, I'm a technology person, but uh, you might be interested in reading a medical article and getting really smart on, on certain fa- other factors, right? But being that lifelong learner is important. And for me, that's just part of my personality. And Rob, you've known me for some time. You know, I analyze everything to death. So, <laughs> you know, learning something, processing it and helping, you know, make that decision is important to me. And I think that's why I'm also in the world of data analytics, Yeah, because it, it just comes natural to me. Um, I do think you have to be very organized, right? As you move up the, the work ladder or as you expand on the home front, being organized is so important uh, in order to, to be able to juggle everything right people talk about having it all and they talk about uh, work-life balance and I always say it's it's not about the balance it's about the choices and you know prioritizing things and help and making those right choices those right decisions um, and and it, it comes back to this to what I said right it's a journey so you might not have everything at that particular point but that does not mean you cannot have it across a time period yeah right that's the way I look at it. Yeah, completely. And as you say, it's not all work. You know, in fact, it's only partially work because it could be your family, it could be your health, it could be you know, other other things that you're just interested in. And I talk to my children all the time about choices, as you say there. And yet as a parent, you know, when you're in involved in, you know, doing the parenting thing, the choices that you make about your own actions are so spontaneous, right? And then you rethink about it later and you try and learn, as you say, from your actions. So it's all encompassed, isn't it, in in every facet of life to try and get the optimum outcome. You call yourself analytical. What are the pros and cons of being analytical, Maria? Well, you'll have to ask my husband that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I don't think there are cons to being analytical, to be honest. Uh, uh, I... I really, truly believe in the concept of making informed decisions. That's what I do with my family. That's what I do with the people I work. That's what I do with myself, right? So you try and get get as much information you can on a topic and you analyze it. You apply your critical thinking abilities, your creativity, and you try and make the best decision. And uh, 
as I said, there's a reason I'm in this field is because this is just who I am. But I think that's how I approach everything in life, right? And um, yeah, so I don't think there are cons in being analytical. The once in a while you do need to disconnect and just, you know, live life and you go on vacation and sit down yeah. on the beach and read a book and not think about data and numbers and, and things like that. But uh, But I don't think there are cons to that one, Rob. You'll have to... I'll keep oh, me honest with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that clearly there's different types of people, aren't there? And and when people aren't analytical or they're a bit more laissez-faire about the, the decisions that they make, being an analytical person, and I, I am one too, it's hard to compute and to understand how those people kind of get through their life. I and mean, clearly they do, right? And they do it, I'm sure, very well. But if you are an analytical person, it just seems so bizarre not to be analytical in the decisions that you make. Yeah, um, I actually have a theory about that. I read somewhere a long time ago in my life, I guess when I was still a teenager, the decisions you make in the first 20 seconds are the same decisions you will make at the end of two hours. Because over a period of time, we develop that sixth sense of gut feeling or whatever. But it's basically accumulation of all our experiences and decision making. So, you know, even if they are, as you said, making decisions that you don't think they've put in thought through, they have put in thought through it throughout their life that mm. enables that decision making. Yeah, I really like that. I might think about that. I probably will do every time I make a long winded decision on something i'll probably think what was what did i think that when i in the first 20 seconds of uh of that contemplation that's the one potential con it, it can uh whether it is the the 20 seconds or whether it's the two hours it's the utilizing the time between the two in the best way possible so that you're not constantly over analyzing and going back over things second guessing yourself etc etc and, and actually just get just on that because we talk about this world of this pace that we're in you know how everything is done so quickly now now with ai coming in everything's going to be even quicker and we talk through you know past uh, generations of response time you know back in the olden days quote unquote where things were done by post and then fax machine and you know before the days of email and and now we've got whatsapp etc but the response rate, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be so quick because actually there's a lot to be said about thinking time. And so I think thinking time is still a, a really important aspect on calculating and trying to get to the, the right solution on something. But again, I, I take your point very much so on that immediate gut feel as to, you know, what the response might be even once that process has happened. And we, look, we spoke about what succeeds means to you and the journey that you go on in order to achieve success. But I think in order to go on any journey in life whether it is work related whether it's family related whether it's achieving a goal in your personal life fitness health whatever it may be there needs to be drivers behind wanting to go on that journey what is it that drives you maria what motivates you i love to learn right uh it's so for me i think i I was very lucky to land in the field of data and analytics, to be honest, because ever since I started this journey, it has been evolving, right? It it start, I actually started out as a C++ programmer mm -hmm. way back in the day, I guess I'm aging myself. And then came, you know, the internet and then came uh, the internet at a big scale, right? Where we could actually leverage it. And then came uh, the world of 
big data, and then came the world of cloud, and now we are in the world of generative AI. And every one of these big milestones has changed the way we have uh, been able to take advantage of the data, of the information, and make decisions. So for me, what keeps me going is the fact that I'm learning something new every, um, every, every ever so often, and uh, it keeps me, it, it, it keeps it interesting for me, right? And then I'm also a management consultant, and that's the other part of me because, um, and, and Rob, you know this about me, but I go and talk to total strangers. I have no problem, right? It's, uh, I'm one of those people, people. So this, um, so it enables me to also work on the people aspects of it, right? It gives me the exposure to the people aspects of it. So I think I have been very lucky to be able to find uh, a role uh, that enables me to draw on both my strengths and both my, um, and things I enjoy, right? These are the things I enjoy. Uh, I am probably not one of those people you you want to uh, lock up in 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 a room and say go solve this and work on this for a year. Yeah. Because uh, I will really miss the the human interaction, and I I truly get a energy high of meeting up with people and talking with people. But I also get an energy high of of continuously learning something and growing and to be able to take that and apply it to something. Um, I think those those are, so it's not motivation, but I think it is about finding out who you are and what you want to do, and then finding those opportunities. And I'm very lucky to be able to have found those. I know we're, we're kind of past the pandemic a little bit, and you don't want to dwell on that period it was a really tough period for a lot of people but when it came down to the lack of human interaction parts I know as we're doing right now it's on video but how, how did you how did you deal with that Maria being such a people person well first of all I had to decorate my office because <laughs> I never spent time on it yeah, yeah. so Good I got reason. tired of seeing the blank wall behind me so I had to decorate my office um but uh, Funnily enough, you know, Zoom and Teams and and all the video conference um, uh, tools and technologies that are available now, mm. I think really, really helped with the people interaction. It's still not the same as, as meeting it in person. And up to date, I, I walk up to like people and say, oh, you look exactly like how you do on your video or your much taller than I imagined you you are on your video or yeah. shorter depending right yeah. um so it's it's a nice way I think the video conferencing was really a nice way to keep that human interaction mm. but it is definitely not a substitute for, in my world for an in-person interaction but it it yeah. does enable the fact mm. that you can meet more people right when you're sitting in your home office you can you can meet people in california and then have a conversation with someone in new york right yeah. or, or london right you you yeah. don't have to be in all the cities so it, it does enable that uh and i think it's like a, a it's a support to the real human in-person interaction it, it, i don't believe it will ever replace that do you think the future generations put as much importance on that as our generations that have always been about the people side of things so as a mother to two teenage boys, I have two boys, 15 and 17, I see them interacting just as much with their peers as as we did um, growing up. 
um, like I, I don't think it's replaced the human interaction totally. They do play video games much better than we did because they chat with their friends and they're all yeah. playing the same game together. And they do do that from time to time. But, uh, but that does not uh, stop them from going and playing soccer or football or baseball or, or just going for a run. I got a son who does track, so just going on a, on a run with his buddies, yeah. right? I think they still, I think as, I'm going to get philosophical here on Europe, I think as a human race, the interaction is, we are social beings. That is really important to us. Couldn't agree and, more. Yeah. And, and some people, as I said, get more of an energy high from being around people and some mm. people need it in a more limited dose. But mm. I think we all do need it at the end of the day. Uh, though Apple just released their new technology yesterday. Um, and I, I, I'm waiting to see how that changes the human interaction abilities. Um, the That's their, their, new, their new VR technology, right? Yes, yes. The whole virtual reality, uh, the whole virtual uh, metaverse, the whole virtual world is definitely, you know, something that will definitely shape the way we interact more strongly. It's already shaped it to an extent, but more strongly. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because obviously there was news recently about Mark Zuckerberg quietly trying to pull away from you know, the metaverse side of things and the investment that he'd made on it. Because the thought of people interacting in this virtual world is one that makes me concerned not only for it to work, because I do think that we're social beings and we want to be socially interactive, but also if it does mean that in future generations that actually people are just going to be sat inside and interacting through the virtual world, which quite honestly just doesn't appeal to me and, and scares me a little bit if I'm being honest yeah I think there's a place for it um my my parents don't live in the same country as me and uh, though like one wonderful use case I'd see for it is you know for them to interact with my kids yeah uh, you know it, it's different to do it via zoom and different to do it on phone call but if if you could get them both in a virtual world and enable them to interact together I think that yeah. would bring people closer together right and I think there's a space for it and yeah. there's a space for the human interaction and we, we need to just find the balance and it's the same I think with the generative AI conversation which we'll come on to soon but it's about it's that there's a room for it it's to be used and and it'll change the world but it's not necessarily to replace the human per se or to replace jobs it's to accentuate it that, that human interaction bit you know I'm I'm completely agree with you on that Albeit I was on a train not so long ago and six young teenagers got on and I was thinking, oh God, they're going to be really loud and, you know, I just want to sit here quietly on the train. And they get on and they all had their heads in the phone. They didn't say a word to each other. And I was thinking, well, good for me, I suppose, because I can sit here and relax. But it wasn't brilliant from a social interaction perspective. Well, they might have been talking to each other on their phones, Rob, you never know. (laughs) This is true. So do, do you find that when it comes to success for you, Maria, that work we know is really important to you and the work that you do with your clients, but also how you level and balance that off with family? You mentioned about your sons and your husband. Do you find that there's there's a constant balance that you're searching for? Or do you feel that you get it quite right? I think uh, every day is different, Rob. Uh, and uh, there are some days that work takes more of my time and there are some days 
that uh, family takes more of my time. And, and don't forget my dog. I have a border collie by the name of Loki. So he gets a shout out. Lovely. <laughs> uh, but um, it's um, it's about, you know, as I said, it's about balancing those priorities. Um, and no day is at 50-50. So there are some days where work will take a little more of you. And there are some days that you'll be able to spend more time with your family. That's the way I look at it. Uh, and as, like, as long as you have the mindset that you're not looking for the perfect thing. I think in consulting, we say, don't let the perfect get in, in the way of the good, right? So as long as you're not looking for the perfect thing and, you know, you you enjoy, you enjoy what you're doing at that moment, right? For me, I think that is important. If you are spending more time at work, do something that you're really enjoying, that you find is valuable to you or valuable to your, uh, to the people you work with or the people mm. you work for mm. and if you are spending time with your family at that point of time enjoy that time with the family don't think about work you, you, you know what i mean yeah they're all humans and there's obviously something probably at the back of our mind but really enjoy that moment right and i think making mm. the most of those moments i think is is what i try and do i think it's so easy to say what you say but actually then to put it into action and and it makes it it, it makes such sense right to really be in that moment at, the, at that time to to appreciate it because if you're in the moment with your family then they'll feel like you're in the moment with them and and then if you're in the moment with your clients and the work that you're doing and you're di deep diving into that i think you'll probably be at your optimum best there as well i think if you're kind of a little bit all over the place with either, you're probably not necessarily getting, as I say, the optimum outcome of either or. And no one's happy in the end. Yeah. Not even you. And you talk about enjoyment. So as you know, David and I spend our working life talking to people about their careers, such as the industry that we're in. And the, the career that you've had, Maria, you must enjoy what you do. You know, you, you said yourself, you're in data and analytics and AI world. And based on what you just said, I imagine that you enjoy your time and you are fully immersed in your time when you're at work, uh, so to speak, uh, work versus play and all that. But how would you describe the trajectory that you've had or how have you achieved the trajectory that you've had to where you are today, Maria? It's not been a straight line for sure. Uh, I think very few people's careers are straight line paths to where they are, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And and for those who are, well, good for them. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm really happy for them. Mine was definitely not a straight path. I started out actually uh, as a physics student. That's that's my major. My undergrad major is I'm a physics student. Okay. And uh, physics was love of my life. Uh, it probably still is. Um, but then came... IT and then the, came the people part and I realized I needed to find a balance between you know my technical way of thinking and, and the engineering and the science mindset and the people part and, and that has was the journey for me to find that balance so um, like very cool physics people what I decided to do was then move to IT yeah. <laughs> to, to be my cooler part that tells you that and then yeah. I was lucky to find out consulting right that was my first job out of school so it was very lucky to find that that job and I really enjoyed it right and for me it was um, about picking up projects and picking, picking up technologies that kept me interested and I really enjoyed and I was lucky enough to be able to have those choices um some path down my career, I also realized that I had only done consulting on my life. 
So I decided to go to industry. And I, I took a break from consulting, went to industry, and I spent wonderful three plus years there. Mm. And I enjoyed it. But what I realized is I was a consultant at heart. So I came back, right? But that was part of the journey to realize who you are and what you enjoy and what you're truly good at, right? And what, you, what truly gives you happiness, right? And so I came back to consulting and I will never leave uh, because, you know, I found out who I am. But I think for me, it has been a journey of understanding myself better, understanding what the types of roles I do well, what are the types of roles that give me happiness and in a space that I enjoy, right? Uh, while at the same time being able to, um, you know, find time for the other things I love, right? Whether it's my family or going hiking with my dog or, or my zillion plants, but it's about finding that, right? Finding what gives you the most happiness, what gives you the most enjoyment. And I, as I said, I've been very lucky to get the opportunities I have. And um, I have ta- I've made use of every opportunity I did get, I hope, <laughs> to the right good. Yeah, but uh, I think it's about that, right? Finding the opportunities that, that give you the happiness, give you the right path. And, um, you know, whether it was when my career was going through, whether it was the internet boom happened or whether the big data boom happened, the cloud boom happened, or now the gen AI boom is happening. It's about, you know, finding those milestones or finding those opportunities. And those are the bigger ones, right? But the smaller ones, like what type of work do you really want to do, right? And it changes, right? 20 years ago, what I thought was really cool now it is very different, right? Yeah. I'm not saying it also isn't cool, but I'm saying it is different. So just finding those opportunities, but definitely not a straight path throughout, definitely not a straight path. Yeah, that's super interesting because what jumps out to me is that you learn a lot about yourself when you weren't doing something rather than when you were doing it. Does that make sense? You know, not being in consulting made you realize that you were a consultant, really. I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, we speak to people who maybe spend only a short amount of time at a company uh, and they, they're bothered that maybe it impacts their resume, their CV. But actually, it's that it's it's about taking the positive out of any situation and learning what it is that you and where you where it is that you want to be in that moment i'm sure there's huge positives though um you know going going on the other side of the the desk so to speak into industry for a while gives you correct me if i'm wrong but probably gave you a lot of perspective on how your clients view you when you're on the other side of the desk in consulting functions. And David, you you hit on a, a point that's really near and dear to my soul. The reason I like consulting is because consulting is truly a team sport. Mm. Uh, and it's a team sport. And I don't mean it by, um, uh, by saying someone from this group or someone with that technology skill, right? It's a team sport that give that you bring people together have, who have diverse ways of thinking. And all we are doing is we're learning to think better. We're learning to think differently. And you're, you're right. That time that I spent in industry gave me a totally different way of thinking than when I was a consultant. And it, it helps me. Uh, it helps me problem solve today. Right. It, it still it helps me problem solve today. But I think it learning those different ways of thinking is what you get from experiencing different experience, like through different experiences. Mm-hmm. And uh 
honestly, no regret. Like, you, Rob, you talked about people saying, I spent one year at this place and how they're going to look at my resume. It's probably the best thing I did for myself, right? Taking yeah. those three plus years and spending it in another uh, way of working, mm. right? Just um, adding weapons I, to your arsenal. Uh, strings, yeah. different strings to your bow, looking at things from different perspectives, coming at things in different ways, different ways of analyzing things. As you said, you, you love to analyze things. Just a quick pause to the podcast to share with you a charity very close to our hearts, Prevent Breast Cancer, who are just incredibly passionate about stopping the disease before it starts. Prevent breast cancer promote healthier lifestyles, screening and early diagnosis. They make sure 100% of their research funding is focused on preventing breast cancer for future generations. They're the only UK charity entirely dedicated to the prediction and prevention of breast cancer. They're right at the front line in the fight against the disease and we are right behind them. So throughout throughout that whole journey that you had, where when did data and AI come into things, or data in its form many years ago, and now what has evolved into what we know as AI today? Yeah, that's been the actually that's been the only constant in my life, David. <laughs> the data analytics and AI, now AI, and you know AI has been been around for a long time, right? Been, we were uh, like from the 1940s, right? Mm -hmm. We've just gotten better at using, uh, the technology has enabled us to use those algorithms and those models to make better decisions now. But um, all throughout my career, that's been the one constant, the data and the analytics piece of it. Mm -hmm. it. It has just evolved as technology has evolved and how we have been able to take advantage of it. Um, and, um, like even even the generative AI pieces, right? Those, like some of those models are from the 1940s, the 1950s. And now we have the technology, we have the processing speed to be able to actually take advantage of it, mm -hmm. right? So so for me, it's it's been, it's been fascinating. Like I think my, my generation, it has been really fascinating where we worked on what we used to call the dumb Unix terminals, right, attached to to the central computing system, to the to the days of like Chat GPT four, right, mm -hmm. and, and it's still evolving, or the metaverse, and it's still evolving, yeah. right. Um, but um, data has been definitely the constant in my life. And so, just to I guess go a little bit more granular, knowing what you do, financial services is uh, a a big focus for you specifically how long have you been operating in that world and what in the acceleration that we've seen throughout because we, we've spoken in previous podcasts that we've done about the acceleration of technology in general and I think AI is a, a good example of that what maybe happened in a, a 40 year period was equal to the latter 20 year period which is equal to the latter 10 year period and the, the acceleration just keeps happening as I said how long have you been focusing on the financial services space and what what impact do you see technology data and AI having in that space over the coming years? So David, I've been in the financial services place, uh, space now for over two decades. So okay. it's sort of been a long time. And uh, I've really seen um, as an industry, the banking industry really 
take advantage of the technology, like be at the forefront to take advantage of the technology. And um, it, it's been interesting to the days when uh, my my father would go to the bank every every Sunday after church, right? He'd go to church, then he'd go to the bank. It was like a regular routine for him. Um, and I recently went uh, to my bank uh, to get a cashier's check, which apparently you don't need to go in person anymore now anyways. But I went to my bank and they said, oh, you haven't been here since 2017. I'm like, yeah, why should I come in? <laughs> like, there is no absolutely no reason for me to come in. Yeah. But you still have my business because you as a bank have made, uh, you know, invested in digital so that your digital apps are so easy to use and, and trustworthy that I continue to give you my business, right? Yeah. But I think the banking industry has really taken advantage of, of, the, of, of how technology has expanded right from better customer service and um, like even the generative AI use cases and the products we are building right now uh, are like for hyper-personalization, right? Reaching out to David, like how David wants to be spoken to, communicated to the mm -hmm. type of media they used to communicate to versus the way they would reach out to Rob. Rob would be very different. Like you, you might like uh, emails and and Rob I know loves chat messages right so it, and how and the and the text you write in it and how do you communicate to the person so really getting person not only knowing you for you know your bank account and and the dollar amount and your credit card and whatever other loans you might have but knowing you for the human being knowing you for oh there's a wedding coming up and maybe you should be saving for it or or your kid's going to graduate and go to college. And so, hey, you're going to need some money soon, right? So, but I think banks are taking advantage of that in like hyper-personalization, getting really more efficient with operational costs and getting like reducing those costs so that they can give back the clients, right? Uh, reducing the fees, reducing the cost um, and just making the experience much better. And if you think about, just the world of how technology evolved and how banks have taken advantage of it at every step. I think it's, uh, I, as I said, I, I'm very lucky to be in this industry um, because they, they are on, I think the financial services industry is definitely on the cutting edge of things. That customer experience side, uh, you know, as a, as a general user myself of, of banks, I can't say I'm seeing that hyper-personalization yet, but I imagine it's something that's, to come in the coming years yeah i would say give it a few months rob <laughs> with, yeah, the, wow. with some of the generative ai use uh that we are seeing in the industry give, give it a few months uh you, you know and yeah. that's the great part about technology right with every leap we make the acceleration path is like it becomes more exponential than linear how do banking or let's say personal banking organizations mitigate, because I'm just sort of running this through in my mind. Your, let's say at the AI, the, the, the generative AI learns that you prefer a more casual form of communication um, and they are corresponding with you more on message, instant message, that type of thing. I think one of the things that general consumers worry about is security, obviously, when it comes to their banking. Um, and I'm, I, I feel like, and you may, you may have a fair amount to say on this, but I feel like if I was being 
contacted or communicated from my bank in such a, a, a casual way, which I may enjoy, but I may not have faith that it's what it appears to be on the tin. How, how do, do you as, as the service provider or how does the bank ensure that they are sort of mitigating that, that risk? So I think in today's world, right, if I have to think about it, um, there is definitely an increased adoption in AI, which is enabling them to, you know, reach out to you in the way you like to be reached out, mm-hmm. reached out to, right? Uh, they're also using uh, AI to improve their service. But in addition to that, there is an extra emphasis on ethics and transparency. So even if you think about using AI and using the generative AI sections, Mm -hmm. how do you prevent those biases? Because these are AI models. So how do you prevent biases? How do you uh, use AI responsibly? I think that is one factor that the banks or the financial institutions, actually any, any firm in the world, any company in the world needs to really think about. The other area is cybersecurity. David, you touched on that, right? Because as as more data is getting generated, as more data is getting stored, there's a greater need for cybersecurity measures to protect it from cyber threats, right? And we're going to see this, an increase of these threats in the next five to 10 years, in my opinion. Um, the third area is data. The, the amount of data we collect on anyone is going to keep growing, mm-hmm. right? So as we're, go- as we're going to continue to see the growth of data, how do you take advantage of that data to make better decisions for you, right? And um, I think the most important thing in the end, and Rob, we talked about this a little more, is the human collaboration, right? The human AI collaboration. Hmm. Because David, even though there is probably a chatbot, right? That Gen AI uh, chatbot writing you that message. At the end of the day, they, there has there is a human AI collaboration. So how you respond to it mm-hmm. and how you, um, the actions you take from it will teach that algorithm to communicate with you better, right? And they, they might find that when they write to you in a very informal manner on, on, a, on a chat tool or Insta, whatever, you do not react well. And so they would course correct to become more formal that's that's the way i look at it so the human ai piece is is important because in in turn we as humans are training the ai on how to communicate with us i saw an advert uh, in the uk there's a commercial on tv um i think it was for a bank i can't don't hold me to it but um they're selling something and then there's a customer service element to it but they're, they're, they're actually selling the fact that you're going to speak to a human at the end. In fact, it was the commercial was presented by a robot, uh, and then it finished off by saying, um, but don't worry, you won't speak to a robot, you'll actually speak to a human, and, and everyone felt sorry for the, the robot on the advert, right, <laughs> on the commercial. Uh, because I think, you know, as we say, I think the majority of this generation are concerned about that robotic response and is it really a human interaction uh, that's deciding the type of relationship that they have with the bank or with the retail company whoever it might be but actually no it's still the human at the end of it and you know we we, we talked before about hoping that that continues but obviously 
how it evolves, I suppose, is yet to still be still be seen over time. Yeah, I, I think there will be a time where we won't be able to figure out whether it's a human or a robot because the robot will be very human in, in its interaction with you, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he, the robot is learning from millions of other human interactions yeah. as well as you communicating with, with the robot. So yes. I am... I am looking forward to that day and age. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are, especially the people who are on their phone to their bank on the automated system, saying the same answer over and over again because they can't get it to understand them. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Once once we eradicate that, it will be a it will be a good good path forward. I hope it doesn't cannibalize our industry, the the, the search industry, too much. Though that's uh, that's something to be seen. Uh yeah, I think every industry is going to get impacted by it uh, in some form or shape. Um, yesterday, I saw an advertisement. Uh, it was posted on LinkedIn, and they had a big sign on the building, and they said, come, jo come join the construction industry because AI is not going to be taking over the construction industry. And I, and I was thinking, well, the robotic arms have been around for some time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, they've yeah. already... They've already affected it in some form or shape, whether it is the construction industry or whether it is medical or whether it is, uh, you know, uh, customer service. Right yeah. now, you have the chatbot, yeah. but it's affected it. And I think um, I'm getting philosophical on you, Europe. Is I think as a race, we have to grow, and we we need to the the skill do what humans do best. Right, what humans do best is critical thinking and creativity and and connecting with people, right? Um, and everything else that is like repetitive or mundane is probably going to get replaced by an AI bot at some point mm -hmm. of time, right? Yeah. But the but the creativity that you bring like is is different, right? Yeah. Um, like the AI bot can paint like a Picasso, but there still has to be a Picasso. Yeah. Right. So I think that's I think that as and as I said, I have two growing uh, teens and that's what I tell them. I'm like, learn to continuously learn and teach yourself and then, you know, develop those skills that are not replaceable. There's a lot of people in this world and I suppose there's only one Picasso. So um, it's going to be interesting in 50 <laughs> years uh, to see what you know how humans need to be in order to create uh i suppose career success and a monetary success that, that's all yeah. to be seen right we uh, that that critical thinking and how we think is definitely going to change and already has done as far as how we can be impactful and how we can be effective and how it can be relevant we're certainly in an amazing period that is for sure you know we will talk about the beginning of the first six months of 2023. I think we will talk about it forever. This definitely interesting times for sure. Yeah. You talked before about um, diversity, Maria, and uh, people are just people, but but ultimately you are a, uh, a very successful woman in your industry. You've been recognised for that within the data and AI space. I know you just get on with your job every day and you're very humble in the way that you do it, but... Do you do you recognize how do you feel about that? Do you recognize it yourself? Have you had challenges yourself over time? Well, thank you for the compliment in the first place. But uh, so uh, for me, as I said, uh, the reason I like consulting is because it's about diversity of thought. 
uh, I very rarely walk into the room and I say, oh, am I the only woman in the room or, you know, but what I look at is diversity of thought because we all come from very different experiences mm -hmm. and that shapes that experience and that exposure uh, shapes our way of thinking, right? Yeah. And for me, working with different people is is important because I learn from different ways of thinking. Hmm. Um, as a as a woman leader, and Rob, you know this about me is I'm definitely very committed to the fact of of mentoring younger women. Hmm. Um, through most of my career, I've had I'm very grateful. Uh, to have had some really good mentors who, who've helped me through the journey. Yeah. And most of them have been men, right? And uh, a large part of who I am today is because these people took the time out to mentor me, right? Yeah. Uh, but what I realized is I didn't really have too many women mentors. So I that is an area I definitely spend a lot of time mm -hmm. on. Uh, mentoring our next generation. And I think that is so important at this day and age, because as I said, people think differently based on different experiences. Yeah. And so, you know, diversity in the workforce does not mean, uh, you know, like uh, diversity in the workforce means diversity of thinking in my head, right? Yeah. And so how do we bring people with different areas of thinking into the workforce? Um, and I'm definitely, you know, um, I'm a founding member of an organization called Women Leaders in Data and AI. So since data is still close to my space, uh, to my heart, that's an area I focus on giving back uh, and also part of other organizations, including Chief. But, um, but I think helping build a more diverse workforce is what is, is important to me. Yeah. Uh, but most of the times, Rob, I'll be honest with you, I walk into the room and I don't even realize that I'm the only woman sometimes. It's just um, very, it, I don't know, I guess I grew up in the science and technology field and there were more men in the field. And so I you guess just I'm get on with it. Yeah, I, just, yeah, yeah, they're all people at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I'm sure that you've had um, certain moments where it's felt like you know, there's been a level of potential misogyny at some point in some respects. But you know, I certainly think that there is, look, we live in a world now where quality, DE&I is so prevalent, right, that it shouldn't really be relevant, I suppose. But do you think that there is a good future for women specifically within the data and AI sector? Absolutely. I think that it is a sector which I think is very conducive to women and, and and I, I, I'm not saying that because I'm a woman, mm. is uh, because I think um, women bring a, like a structured way like of thinking, like, like the age old adages, you know, the checklist, you make a list and you like, uh, you, you, you say, okay, very methodical, very, very uh, thought through way of thinking. And if you think about analytics, that's what analytics is, right? Yeah. You take all your pieces of information and you think through it and you do, uh, and you make a decision based on it. And I think there's definitely a lot of, um, there's a lot of potential for, for the next generation of women to grow in this field. Um, and, you know, as, and I, especially as, uh, you know, we, we talked about generative AI and I talked about biases, right? So having that right 
emotional intelligence to be able to see that bias in the code, to be able to, um, you know, um, it to be able to be able to um, process that that data and to be able to do that. And as you would talked about, Rob, there are so many opportunities opening up, and the focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion is so huge at this time. Mm -hmm. And I believe there are more opportunities than there were when I was growing up, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I think the world has also changed. Like I, I, as I said, I have two boys and they don't even think about the, you know, the girls in their class being any different from them, if that, right? Sure. So I think our way of thinking has also evolved. Um, and I think there's definitely, it's, it's going to be fun times. I remember many years ago, um, presenting to a client on subconscious biases in the workplace and around women those getting to a, a very senior level within a business and, you know, the maternal challenges that come along with that. And clearly you've gone through it, Maria. How do you feel that some people struggle to overcome who've got amazing skill sets and personalities, but maybe perhaps struggle to overcome the balancing of becoming a mother and having time off potentially, but still wanting to be super focused on their career and getting to the most senior levels that they deserve to become. What advice would you perhaps give to someone who's you know, going through that period of their career? I think uh, the one thing I learned from being a, a mother, the first thing I learned, which I was shocked, which was very shocking to me was, um, you become really humble really soon. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and and the advice I would give is you you cannot do everything on your own you know as if you if you think you are going to be able to do everything on your own you're not you're not superhuman you're going to have to rely on help right you're going to need a support system um I think the phrase is it takes a village but it's true it does take a village and whether that support system is you know, your spouse, your extended family, or uh, hired help, neighbors, friends, but you are going to need a support system, right? That's mm -hmm. the only way to do it. Uh, doing it on your own is just, I I, I have a lot of uh, friends who have been, women friends who are successful, and every one of us have that in common. We, we created our support system, right? We did not necessarily inherit it or have it when we had our kids, but we created that support system. And that's the that's the piece of advice I would give. Find your support system and, and remember that it's about choices. And at different stages in your life, you will make different choices. And sometimes on different days, you will make different choices, right? Yeah. But be uh, thoughtful that you're making that choice. And, and definitely ask for help when you need it it's really insightful and again it, it sounds so obvious but at the same time i bet there's many people that listen to this and go gosh i didn't really think about that you know here i was just trying to get on with being a mother and and, and being someone who's on and up with trajectory in their career but you know I, I in hindsight i look back and i didn't quite create that for myself and again i think we talked about this near the beginning of of this podcast we talked about structuring and organizing and making those decisions analytically to create you know to create a process that ultimately leads to that success i think there's a lot of narrative about women perhaps not getting up to the c-suite of organizations based on 
other factors potentially do you think there's a, a something to be said about that as well or do you think it's really you know in the control of the of the of the individual and the person uh, as to what what their obstacles are to to keep moving forward and have a family so I don't know about women not getting to the C-suite because, uh, as I said, I'm a founding member of the organization called Vilda, Women Leaders in Data and AI, and there are lots of women there in the C-suite. Yeah, there are. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but our generation, women were raised a little differently in a different way of thinking. And to use those strengths as you move up, those are your strengths, those are not weaknesses. And I think sometimes it takes time for you to realize that those are strengths and not mm-hmm. weaknesses. But to understand what your strengths are and leverage those, right? Uh, know yourself best. So you know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what uh, what you're going to lean on your team for, and what you're going to ask for support from your leaders from, right? Um, that thing I said about asking for help doesn't only go on the home front, it goes to the work front too. And people mm-hmm. understand at the end of the day, we're all nice human beings and we want to help each other, right? And that's, that's, my, that's what I've realized in life. And so, you know, asking for that and leveraging your strengths as you move up the ladder. And then, Rob, you talked about something uh, which was unconscious bias. And I shared that most of my mentors through my career have been men, right? And some of them I have nothing in common with. I don't look like them I don't sound like them I think very differently from them but uh, you know being able to find those mentors who will support you and the sponsors yes and I think for women it's a it's not only the mentorship it's also the sponsorship and that is something I think that you need to um, as women act like focus on that one I think it comes it doesn't come as intuitively to most women Right. Uh, but I think that might be like and another another thing that I will say from my uh, uh, from my personal experience about myself and a lot of women I know is um, we are perfectionists to a certain extent, like you, you, you want to be there at 110 percent before you ask for the role. And I always say is, hey, if you're there at 80 percent, you know, ask for the role and then you can learn the other 20 percent while you're on the role. Right. right. So don't hold yourself back. It's uh, take take a chance on yourself. You know, take a chance on yourself sometimes. I think it's interesting because with the whole theme of of this pod and this podcast series being success and how we foster and create success and what that means to everyone. I think a common theme that you've mentioned, whether it's to do with women in the workplace, whether it's to do with younger generations in the workplace or or even people who have got to the top uh, and the way that they've got to the top. I think humility and humbleness and being conscious of the fact that you can't do everything by yourself and you do need that support network or that team behind you in order to to truly be successful is is really quite an impactful thing to to think about. The only thing I'll say, uh, add to that, David, is uh, also being grateful to your team and appreciating them. Mm. I think that is that is a huge, because they are a huge part of your success, right? A huge part, like building that team and then appreciating that. I think for me, that, that's important. And that mm. team is not necessarily only your team at work, but it's also your team at home, right? It's a work-life balance choice juggling act 
Absolutely. Well, look, I, th- I think there's, you know, we could talk about elements of success or we could talk about elements of the data and AI world for probably hours and hours on end. I think you're super insightful and um, the information that you and the way that you convey the information is 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 really quite um, thought provoking. Um, I think it would be great to circle back around in a year's time when we're on series two or three of the podcast and and do this again and see what advancements there have been. Because I could probably sit here and ask you now what the advancements over the next five years, the next 10 years are going to be. Um, but to actually come back and do that at some point will be would be a great thing to do. Um, but just, I guess, as, as, as one of the sort of final questions that that i'm keen to hear your perspective on is when you look at data ai and fostering success together whether that's for the individual the general person at home the consumer whether that's for large business or whether that's for um clients of yours where where do you see the the biggest area of impact that the technology is going to have in driving whatever success means for all those different areas of of people business from a technology perspective um that's an interesting question david i didn't quite think about it i think technology in general i'm going to answer this one in general i think technology is a tool it's a means it's Mm -hmm. uh it is not the end, right? Technology is here to make our lives easier and to take over the things that we don't really get joy out of doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, um, years ago, data entry used to be a profession, right? And I I don't know how many people get joy out of uh, reading a paper copy and, up, and typing it up in Excel, right? Mm-hmm. And so... But for me, that's what technology is. Technology is a tool to be able to give me the time to focus on what is it that I enjoy doing and to do that, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's the journey. Like I'll, I'll end it up with saying this success is a journey and ev- using technology is also a journey because every, I, I can't say every year now, we should say every few weeks we get smarter, <laughs> right? Or uh, And we use technology in a better way to improve our, quality of life to be able to free time for us to do other things that we enjoy and and whether it is the people or whether it is uh, the the work or the firms or the companies right that's that's what how we are using technology mm-hmm. like and especially the ai space has really been a disruptor for sure makes makes real sense and i i love the circling up of success is a journey maria and the journey that you've been on and that you are on is is wonderful and you know long may it continue we probably need to wrap it up here i reckon um but as david mentioned there and i think he's i think you've verbally signed yourself into another podcast with us in in the future <laughs> maria uh, so we could talk about your constant uh, your your continued journey um but we've, we've covered so much and it, it's just you know I, as I, as I, you and I've had many conversations over the years it's just amazing to be able to talk about this on this platform and therefore be able to share you and your ideas and how you think and your personality um with with many people who hopefully will listen to this and, and get so much out of it um it's been 
it's been insightful it's been fun uh you are wonderful to chat to as always and we'd love to we just wanted to thank you for your time and and it's been amazing being here with you well thank you both i really enjoyed the conversation thank you rob thank you david thank you for listening to the search and succeed podcast please subscribe and follow us on instagram twitter and linkedin we'll see you on the next one Thank you.